The Australasian Integrative Medicine Association New Zealand Conference will be held on the 6th and 7th of April 2019. This year's theme is From Genome to Microbiome, Integrative Medicine for Everyday Problems. Join a fantastic lineup of passionate national and international experts sharing the latest updates and insights on current critical issues in practice. For more information and to register for this event, please go to ama.net.au and click on the Education tab. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Unusually, we're discussing a breaking issue, and between the time of recording on the 18th of March 2019 and the time you hear this, things may have changed as things are rapidly evolving. We have Dr Penny Caldercott, President of the Australasian Integrative Medicine Association on the line. Penny, welcome, and can you tell us what's happening? Thank you, Andrew. Good to talk to you. So in about two and a half weeks ago, the Medical Board of Australia put out some uh, new proposed guidelines for doctors practising uh, what they're calling convention, uh, unconventional uh, complementary and emerging practices. Um, and these, in these guidelines, uh, there are stipulated di differences of expectations of doctors um, practising these kinds of things. So the, the problem that we have as an organisation, um, the Australian Integrative Medicine Association, uh, which is the peak body for integrative medicine in Australia, is that we don't really understand uh, what these guidelines are about and who they're meant to be targeting. Uh, so when they first, we met with the medical board last last week um, to try and clarify what is going on here. And uh, what they tried to do um, was to set up some guidelines for complementary and alternative medicine, um, because in Australia we haven't had guidelines for for these for practitioners practicing this type of medicine, these types of medicine. And in the process of doing so, they realised that there were a whole lot of other things that maybe they needed to address. And so this, this uh, rationale uh, for these guidelines developed into something a bit bigger than that. Um, but the, the issue for us is that in developing this rationale and these potential new guidelines, they haven't um, had any consultation with anyone who practices this kind of medicine. So the, the usual uh, practice in developing uh, a rationale for guidelines is having wide consultation uh, amongst the stakeholders. And the stakeholders are normally meant to be the people who are actually uh, practising the kind of medicine that they're looking to uh, propose guidelines for. In the rationale statement, what they've said is that there are some stakeholders who've asked for these guidelines, um, which are nobody in the integrative medicine community, um, but they haven't stipulated who these people are and in the rationale for the guidelines, they haven't actually uh, they haven't actually proven that there is any risk to the community of doctors practicing um, in this way. And so they haven't really uh, explained why we need these guidelines. So so you said that they haven't stipulated who they're targeting and that, therefore means that it includes all of 
any practitioner who practices complementary or integrative medicine. Is that correct? Well, that that's potentially correct. So in Australia, we know that in a couple of surveys done over the last 10 years, um, about 30% of GPs, and this is not even including specialists, say they practice some form of integrative medicine. And so potentially this could include lots of people and lots of different practices, but the rationale is, um, is so kind of undefined and um, relatively vague that it would be hard for anyone to know whether these guidelines would include them or not include them. When we met with the medical board, uh, when AMA met with the medical board, they said that this wasn't meant to target evidence-based integrative medicine. And yet, um, AMA was mentioned three times in the rationale um, that precede the proposed guidelines. And so, I guess the integrative medicine community is feeling very unsure about what would be included they use some, rather than bring up any any evidence for kind of relative risk of practising uh, this kind of medicine, what they did was bring up a number of cases uh, that the medical board, um, uh, the, a number of cases of doctors that the medical board has pursued. Um, and those were cases of people practising kind of, uh, well, not, not really within the realms of integrative medicine. Uh, so things like using an- anabolic steroids and stem cell therapies and a-, a number of other issues like that. And, in fact, interestingly enough, those cases did come to light and did get pursued, which which leads us to think that perhaps the, the current guidelines um, are-, are actually sufficient. What perplexes me is what you mentioned there, stem cell therapy and anabolic steroids, are not complementary or integrative medicine uh, practices. They're medical practices and they're an issue of a sanction from a medical board to a medical practitioner. Yeah, correct. So the, the, the cases that they brought up were, I guess, not really, we, we don't think reflective of or, at all of people practising complementary or integrative medicine. No. Um, and although there, there's been this kind of... Um, this attempt to make us feel like we're not included, when you do read through the rationale, it's not so convincing that we wouldn't be included. Now, what what they've said is that the rationale will not be included once the guidelines come out, but what they will do is have a kind of addendum to the guidelines of the things that would be covered by those guidelines and that they'll be guided towards what that should be by the consultation process they're in at the moment, which actually means we're having to give comment on guidelines that we don't really know who's yeah. going to be included and who isn't. It's just a rather unusual way of doing it. Now, we the AMA went to the medical board in APRA four years ago and we had a discussion about integrative medicine to try and say, look, this is who we are, this is how we practice, this is what we do. And by the way, if you're going to write some guidelines at some stage, we'd really like to be involved. And generally, that that would be the process and has been the process for other kinds of guidelines and regulations that come from the medical board. But in this case, um, doesn't seem to have been the process. Now, we all found out about this because uh, because someone found out about it and then we all called each other and kind of got onto it. But by the time it came out um, from the medical board in their newsletter, I'm pretty sure they were only about six or seven weeks or, or less to, to respond to this. Now, when we met with the medical board, we got an extension, which is great, by a month. So now all the responses are due back by the 12th of May. Um, 
uh, and we've got some ongoing communication happening with the medical board because we're honestly very keen to work with the medical board to understand what we're doing um, and to help them to see that not only uh, are we happy to uh, perhaps have have some kind of guidelines around integrative medicine, but there, we're also a community that is really getting ready uh, and has already put some things in place to help to self-regulate, um, which is what many of the colleges do. Uh, so the good medicine guidelines, which apply to all of us as doctors, um, really um, cover pretty much all of the issues that they brought up in the preamble. Um, and so we we think that those guidelines are enough and are happy to work with the medical board to help kind of define integrative medicine um, and, and help uh, facilitate uh, training programs and pathways. What I don't understand is in America, you've got Harvard, Stanford, Yale, Brown, top universities, the Ivy League, um, are now embracing uh, integrative medicine. And they're now starting schools in integrative medicine. Indeed, the orthodoxy is now talking to those people who wish to run the integrative medicine schools and they want to be inclusive in those guidelines. It seems to be exactly the opposite here in Australia. I wonder if this is suppression. I mean, I think that's what a lot of people are concerned about. And you're right, it's not. there are over 70 of the major universities in the US involved in the academic consortium of integrative medicine and health, I think it's called now. Um, and, and the Cleveland Clinic, as ma- many listeners may know, right. um, was opened up about three years ago, the Integrative Medicine Cleveland Clinic, and has now tripled in size. So yes, you're right, it, it's not emerging in the US, it's definitely emerged. I think there are some issues in Australia. I think that while we've been working really hard uh, on our integrative medicine and our learning and supporting each other and our patients, I think that we we haven't been so proactive in defining who we are and and what we're what we're doing, which is what AMA has been working very hard on, uh, and we've been also developing to be launched um, soon this year an integrative medicine pathway of training, um, and also facilitating uh, teaching teaching uh, practitioners to write letters to each other. Um, i.e. naturopaths, nutritionists and others to be writing and communicating with doctors. So there is some work being done at the moment um, and perhaps this is in a way kind of good timing because we are being proactive um, and we're really ready to have this this conversation with the medical board. Um, But we think that these guidelines or these proposed guidelines um, and the rationale that's associated with them have kind of come out of nowhere without adequate without any consultation, and that's where we think the issue is. The MBA is the medical arm of the Australian Health Practitioner Registration Agency, which which is called APRA, which is obviously registered health practitioners. What about non-registered health practitioners? Well, I mean, the, the APRA, can't, APRA can't really do anything about non-registered health practitioners. Um, uh, they don't have any authority on, over health practitioners who aren't registered with them. Uh, so any any kind of regulations around non-registered health practitioners can't come from APRA. And what's the implication for registered health practitioners if these guidelines are accepted and go ahead? 
Well, I mean, as we've already talked about, part of the implication is that we actually don't really know what the implications could be. Um, but certainly it's there's the potential of creating a, a two-tiered system. So one set of guidelines for people practising conventional medicine, which hasn't really been defined because, as we know, conventional medicine is always in a state of change. Um, and then one set of guidelines that has a p potentially an increased burden um, for practitioners practising uh, anything underneath these guidelines, which, again, we don't really know who's included in that. But at the moment, it looks like complementary, uh, unconventional and emerging practices. Ostensibly, one would think that this is to do with safety. And yet just recently, I read a news article speaking about seven procedures that do more harm than good. Um, how do they propose that you will stamp out these orthodox procedures that do more harm than good while protecting against integrative medicine practitioners. Yeah, so that's really interesting because um, in the in the uh, preamble to these guidelines, they've talked about off-label prescribing of pharmaceutical medications. Now, I mean, there are many uh, specialties in medicine that use off-label prescribing yeah. routinely, and that would include uh, some pediatric uh, prescribing, uh, definitely prescribing in psychiatry, and there's numerous other areas where there's off-label prescribing. And if anything, the integrative medicine doctors aim to use less pharmaceuticals pharmaceuticals and, and for the most part, I think, do prescribe less pharmaceuticals. If you look at the relative risk of, of, um, of death uh, or relative risk of, of morbidity, then pharmaceuticals, um, adverse effects from pharmaceuticals is right up the top of the list, as is um, admission to hospital um, because of all the different things that could potentially happen to you in hospital or medical misadventure they talk, talk about in hospital. So when you look at uh, things like like herbs and uh, nutritional supplements, we're so far away from that spectrum <laughs> that, that the risk associated with the work that we do um, has been proven in, in many studies to be very low. So the relative risk is very low, but you see they haven't really talked about risk. Um, they've talked about potential risk in terms of um, uh, uh, going down a track and, and using some sort of form of medicine which doesn't uh, allow you to make a proper diagnosis and a proper treatment or delaying treatment uh, with conventional means by do, if you're doing something that's considered unconventional, all of those kinds of things. Um, but what's interesting to note is that integrative medicine doctors are first and foremost conventional medicine doctors. That's what our training is. And nowhere in our training uh, in integrative medicine are we told that we should throw the conventional away. The conventional comes first mm. and the integrative practices are how do we understand how this person got to where they are now and how can we help them uh, to kind of work their way back towards wellness that doesn't mean we're not going to do any prescribing. It's not going to mean that we're not going to investigate and exclude, you know, uh, urgent things that need to be treated. And, in fact, that's what we would be doing first. So the relative risk for the kind of medicine that we do is, is not only potentially but is actually much lower than practising conventional medicine alone. Do you think these proposed guidelines might have a long-term effect of stifling scientific inquiry? 
I think that's the concern around them. I think that people are worried that it, it could increase again the, the vexatious complaints, um, that people might complain uh, about things that we're doing because they don't understand them, which is not really a good reason to complain. Yeah, we're not talking um, about patients here, though. We're talking about quote-unquote people. No. So interestingly, the um, they say that the, the the complaints are not coming from the patients, um, which begs us to ask where the complaints are coming from. Um, and look, I, I think there, I think we should be overt about what we're doing and who we are and how we define what we do. I think that's really important, and maybe that alone will help people to understand better what we are doing, and we're not some kind of you know. A uh, radical group of people practicing some radical form of, you know, unconventional medicine. Um, this is an opportunity for us to do that. And and I think the other thing to say is that the integrative medicine community has really come together over this in a way that we've been um, wanting for a long time. And so the positive effect of this uh, is that we're working very closely together across all the organisations um, in integrative medicine in Australia. Um, we do have some work to do. This is a very serious issue. Um, but I think collectively, you know, we, we can really uh, make bring something good out of this situation. Where can people find out more about it and what can they do about it themselves? Yes, yeah, so um, if you just go to the medical board website, you'd be able to find the proposed guidelines. Um, but you can also go to the AIMA website, which is aima.net.au, um, and on the front page uh, you can find out all, of, all about uh, what we're doing in AIMA, uh, what you can do, what are the, the kind of main issues that you, that you probably need to think about when writing your submission, and we'll be continuing to update what's on the AIMA website. Penny, earlier you mentioned about registered APRA practitioners. Who does this include and what can they do if they want to be involved? So registered practitioners include um, all doctors um, and all allied health practitioners, including Chinese medicine practitioners. Um, and all practitioners could potentially put in a submission uh, on this topic because, in fact, in the preamble it mentions often health practitioner rather than medical practitioner alone, which means that this this could potentially have a triple trickle down effect um, for other practitioners um, through APRA um, as opposed to through the medical board, which just represents um, medical practitioners. So on the, uh, the, the RACGP has an integrative medicine special interest group, which has about 800 members. Um, so we've been working with the special interest group, but really importantly um, for doctors, and allied health practitioners who are also who can also be full AMA members. It would be wonderful if you could join AMA because that way we can really work together, not only to build better guidelines, but to really um, take our place um, in integrative medicine and within conventional medicine um, in Australia. Dr. Penny Caldercott from AMA, thank you so much for taking us through this emerging issue in the Australian integrative medicine landscape. We look forward to hearing more good news from you soon. Thanks so much for joining us on FX Medicine. Thank you, Andrew. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. This podcast was brought to you by the Australasian Integrative Medicine Association, AMA. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can find more Industry Insights podcasts and resources under the Community tab on the FX Medicine website.